Well, if you've got your Bibles, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 is where we are in our series. Uh, we're in the middle of this series called Balance, where we are journeying through the two letters that Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica. Probably from what we can read in the other letters, one of his favorite, if not his favorite church, his favorite group of people. Uh, we've said if Paul was going to maybe pick a church to retire to or just stay in, he probably would have picked Thessalonica. Uh, one, it's on the Aegean Sea. It's just a beautiful area. Like, it's a nice, cool place to hang out. But he just loved these people. He loved hooking arms and doing life with these people. And I don't know about you if you've ever had a group like that or a place like that. You just immediately feel at home and connected. This is what Paul experienced at Thessalonica. And it's what motivated him to write these letters early on. Uh, he didn't just say, I'm just, I left that church, let me write them a letter. Like as soon as he left, he missed these people. He was concerned about them. He knew that there weren't a ton of strong leaders that he was leaving behind. And so he was using these letters to give them some great groundwork and some great framework of how to live this balanced Christian life. Because the truth is our whole life is based on balance, right? How do we balance our finances and our expenses? How do we finance time at work and time at home? All of these kind of things. It's this balancing act. I don't know if you like to watch the Olympics. I, I can say this. I love watching the Olympics, but it is the only time every four years that I watch gymnastics. All of a sudden, I become this huge gymnastics fan for some reason. I, we have some people in our church who do gymnastics. I'm like, what is that like? How do they do this? All that kind of stuff. But the thing, the event that gives me the most anxiety is the balance beam. Like that, you, you see somebody get on there and start doing these things, and you know, especially when it's like tens, thousands of a points, like one wobble, one wrong thing, and this person falls off, and these years of training and work, in one second, they fell off. And it's like this balance is so important. And don't our lives feel like that sometimes? Don't we feel like, man, if I make one wrong step today or one thing at work or one thing in this relationship, all of this work I put into it is going to fall out and crash. And this is why trying to understand this balanced life is so important. And what we're going to talk about today is even more important because this idea of understanding that even though we're walking a beam and there's a straight and narrow, there's also opportunity for grace and there's also opportunity for growth as we make this journey. Even when we fall off the beam, I love that Paul is going to show us you can get right back on. You can let's start again and go afresh. And that's what we're going to look at in chapter 5 today. And uh, it's, I'll start with this question. Have you ever grown frustrated in life? Right? Yeah, I mean, everybody's like, of course, you know, you know, this morning, like it was you know, frustrating this morning. Like, have I ever grown frustrated today? Yes, I have. But have you ever like, maybe grown frustrated in relationships? You know, maybe some of you in here, maybe you've grown frustrated with your spouse at some point in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe with your friends, right? I mean, it just happens all the time. You maybe don't like the way they did something, said something or replied to something, Maybe they come across as lazy or they just not committed to things. And we have different reasons that cause us to get frustrated. Even the greatest situations of things, we can all of a sudden create tension, moments of frustration. And Paul knew this, and he was bringing this letter, this first letter to a close, because he had been giving them great things going on. Like, this is amazing. He says, but, you know what, There's, there may be some challenges that are going to come your way. There's going to be some maybe some things that I really want you to make sure that you've got ingrained in your life. And he starts off this chapter, this chapter five, actually talking about the far future, 
like things that will happen <clears throat> when, when, you know, the world comes to an end. And we're not going to spend our time on that today. But he, he's building up to this picture of what could be this perfection of what could be in the future. And then he ends this chapter by looking at, but how do we live while we're here until we get there? How do we actually live this out and allow these truths and that beautiful dream to also impact our life today? One of the things I think we often sell short about the Christian faith is that it is only a future faith. It is something for me one day when I die, I get to go to heaven, and that's where my reward is. But I love the fact that Scripture is filled with these pictures of the faith of Christ. Putting my faith in Christ impacts me today, this moment. It helps me with my family. It helps me with my friendships. It helps me with everything that is going on in my life. It is today faith as much as it is a future faith. And so what we're going to look at as we look at this situation, this balance between these two ideas of grace and growth. Grace and growth. How do we show grace to one another while also finding the right ways to encourage one another to grow instead of just existing or excusing or ignoring issues that are in front of us? How do we give grace but also challenge growth? How do we help us and relationship move forward with both of these? Because the truth is probably we lean to one side or the other. Like when something happens in a relationship, we're just like, all right, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to kind of hold back. I'll show you grace for a season. And it's like we have this ticking time bomb inside when like all of a sudden the grace reservoir runs out and it's like you don't know why your friend, your spouse, your kid, all of a sudden you just explode. And you're like, they're like, I just said, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, you say that every night. And like, uh, you start unloading on them six months of frustration that has been building up. Even though you've been showing grace, when it runs out, boom, it's like a time bomb. Some of us refer to growth. Like when something happens, some kind of tension comes, like you're immediately dealing with it and you're telling them everything that's wrong in that moment. And it's like a landmine. You guys are like you're somebody's coming and they mess up and it's like they get no grace. It's immediate reaction. Boom, right in your face. And I don't know where you fall in this. I'm like more of a time bomb person. I just let things grow. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm going to send you a, you know, Katie would tell you like, that is me. That is me. I just can respond that way. I don't know where you fall on that, but the truth is we should fall somewhere in the middle. One, neither one is healthy. And if we only have grace, it leads us to a path that we, does, we don't really want to be in either. And it's called, it leads to license. This idea that all right, you can just do whatever with no consequence. Whatever you want to do, if we, if we only say that there is grace, whatever you mess up, no consequence. And when we do this, we end up justifying behaviors that we never would before, and ultimately, we marginalize the work of Christ in our life. We say, you know, do I really need his forgiveness? It wasn't that bad. And we start to marginalize his work. But if we only talk about growth and this immediate, you know, you got to get better every day, every day it leads to legalism. I have to do things. I can't make a mistake without some kind of consequence happening. And this leads to fear and guilt And this one, it doesn't marginalize the work of Christ. It minimizes the work of Christ. It makes it so that his grace is not enough that I have to actually do something to prove myself to him. So let's find out how to live in this balance this morning between grace and growth and how to deal with these frustrations that can often come in relationship as they play out. So let's read 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 through 22, and then we're going to look at pieces of this. End of verse 13 says this, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, 
help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. I love that it says here the goal. He starts off with Paul tells us in the end of verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. That's our goal. That's the goal of what we're going to look at here is how do we live at peace among ourselves? How do we live at peace with our spouse, our friends, our kids, whatever connections we have? This is the learning to live in balance with one another, showing grace and encouraging growth. Balance equals peace. And what this passage does for us is two things. First, it gives us some tangible ways to live some steps to take in balance in relationship. It's kind of, I call it the starter pack for peace in relationships that he lays out here. It's not every command, but it is four key solid commands that if we can start living these out in relationships, will help with frustration. It'll create room for grace and room for growth. And then he will tell us how to look, how can we actually incorporate these into our lives? Because the truth is you and I can often read a list and say, hey, that's a good idea. That's, I should do this, 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 and this. But we never end up internalizing those, making that part of who we are and how we actually operate. We still blow up at somebody or we have a time bomb building in our life that we're not dealing with. And we know now that maybe we should, but we still choose not to. And so I love how Paul says, here are some ways to internalize this. So let's talk first about how do we build balance in relationships. And it's verse 14. He says, I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Let's just look at those four things real quick. Admonish the idle. This first tool Paul gives us to build a relationship balance is to admonish the idle. Now, when I hear and think about this, I think about being reprimanded or scolded for not doing enough or taking a break. Growing up in, uh, when I was in high school, I worked at Chick-fil-A, and uh, our manager there had a saying all the time, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. And uh, I, I can still hear him saying that. And it was like immediately, like he would just appear out of nowhere. You'd be like, you had been working like six hour shift. And like, I just lean back and chill for a minute. And he'd pop, if you got time to lean. And I was like, come on, let me have a break for a minute. It's like this idea that any idleness is bad. And that's actually not what this word, the, the term admonish here, the idol actually means to warn, to give caution to, to like, Throw up a sign and say, hold on, pay attention if this is happening. And the word idle doesn't mean here relax or to take a break. The word idle can actually be translated unruly. And when I mean unruly, it's not like crazy out of your mind unruly. It just means that you start operating outside of the righteousness that got outside of the rules, outside of what God had intended for you. And he's saying warn the idle, admonish the idle. It's like, hey, be willing in relationship to throw up a stop sign, to throw up a warning sign when you're in a relationship with somebody and you see them start operating in unhealthy ways. That's what he's saying here. Warn and admonish the idol. This idea of, of learning to do this, we've all experienced it in relationship. Things are going well, but then for some reason, someone in a relationship takes a left turn when they should have taken a right or they decide to stay behind when everybody else is moving forward. It feels awkward. It's frustrating. Tension and distance build in a relationship. And Paul says our job at that point is to warn them. 
Now, if we only operate in grace, and we say, all right, I'm just going to let it be, I'm not going to say anything, and we do this, grace only, here's what we often end up doing. We often end up withdrawing. We limit confrontation. We leave them where they are, hope they figure it out for themselves, and be like, I hope they catch up with me or get back on track, and we just kind of slowly withdraw, and I'll be like, I'll give them grace. You know, even though they're heading toward a cliff, I'll give them grace. You know, but the other way, if all we do is that growth model, like you've got to get it fixed today, then all we end up doing is complaining about them. Like every, you start seeing every shortcoming in life, every reason they went down this other path, this other road. And we start to gossip about them to others. We talk about them instead of talking to them when we do this. And the key idea that he's laying out here is this. To admonish or to warn is to mean this. We speak to them. You share your concerns. Don't withhold love, but also don't withhold the truth. That's the challenge, to admonish the idol. Don't withhold your love. Don't withhold that grace and support, but also don't withhold the truth. And for some of us, we fall either on either side of that, and we have to make the decision to live in balance. So admonish the idol. Then he says, encourage the faint-hearted. That's the second tool he gives us. And the idea here is, now, now that we've kind of warned them and we've admonished them, he says, don't leave them behind at this point. We can come beside them and offer them help, comfort, and support. This term encourage means to actually calm and to motivate, to come along somebody in, in distress and bring help, calmness, and help them motivate them to move forward. The idea of me, I, I am not a scuba diver. Like I, I grew up swimming. I love swimming. And I like the little snorkel that you're at the top of that. But that idea of like being down, how many of our feet? 5,000? I don't know, 5,000 is probably not right. 500 feet, we'd all be dead at that point, right? However deep you go when you go scuba diving. I just, I've seen too many movies where like you're sucking on the air and all of a sudden you're like, you're, can't breathe. you know, as your air's gone and you're like, you start struggling to breathe. And then the guy who's like 30 meters away starts swimming over and like he takes his thing and lets you breathe and then he breathes and you work back up to the surface. Like I just know as soon as I try it, that's what's going to happen. And, uh, but that's this model here. Like you see somebody struggling, you go to them and you give them a breath. You help them to survive until they can get back to safety. This is what encouraging the faint-hearted mean. The, the word faint-hearted here does not mean weak or lame. It actually more means that they have a lack of understanding or insight. Someone who doesn't know what to do next. And this is what encouraging. Encouraging the faint-hearted is stopping for a moment with someone who needs rest, needs a break, and just needs to get their bearings again. Even when you have complete clarity, it is giving them the time to develop clarity as well. But here's what happened in a situation like this. If we're only grace, then here's what we end up doing. We just coddle them. We keep them. We're like, all right, you just keep breathing, keep breathing, give them a little bit. And we never help them get to the next step. And we coddle people if all we give them is grace. But if all we do is is have this growth mindset, then we end up belittling them. We're looking at, ah, you're weak, you're no good, and you're dependent on everybody else. Can't you do anything on your own? And we have this constant we, instead of adding courage, we discourage. We take courage away. Coddling doesn't add any new courage, and belittling actually takes the courage away. So here's the idea when it means to, uh, to encourage the faint-hearted. It means to motivate them, to share with them your courage, your insight, your vision, so that they can stand and begin to move again. That's the goal. 
when you encourage the, the faint-hearted. Then he says, help the weak. The next tool is this idea of helping those that are weak. The truth here is there are times in relationships that you're going to have to do most, if not all, of the work. It's going to happen. Something's going to happen, and it's going to literally break the other person, and you're going to have to come in and help. The word help here means to add strength or to hold up. And the term weak means broken or lacking. Weakness here is not a sign of laziness. It's not a lack of commitment. It is instead a picture of someone who has been hobbled, hurt, and in pain. They were running in the race and they fell. They were moving forward and a path slid away from them. An obstacle appeared out of nowhere and is bigger than they can overcome themselves. And we've all experienced this in a relationship. Somebody gets bad news, a bad diagnosis, an unexpected loss of job or income. They receive some devastating news that's going to immediately impact their family or their marriage, and they don't know what to do. It is they have been pained. They have been hurt, injured, and they need help. And for some of us, when we only act in grace alone, we expect them, we end up expecting them to never get better. We think they'll never give. We'll just, we gotta, you're going to be hurt the rest of your life and we never give them a chance to heal. We, we keep meeting their need and it's a great thing to meet their need, but eventually you want them to heal. With growth only, we expect them to get better immediately. All right, I know that hurt, but get up. Get back on your feet. Start going again. Those of you who know me, we know it was a little over 10 years ago, we lost Katie's dad tragically in an accident on Jacksonville Beach and it was on her birthday. It was a tragic day. And I remember as we walked through that and he passed away and we began to process that grief, uh, people would often come up with us and very, you know, kind natured saying, you know, things will get back to normal. You know, like basically saying, are you okay yet? Are you back? You know, and, and I just kind of got where I was saying, you know, no, they won't. Like there's going to be a new normal. There's a whole brand new normal. We're not going back to where it was. And this growth mentality can also, can often make us think, hey, you just went through something tragic. I'm sorry, but I'm ready for you to get back where you were. I'm ready for you to be who you were again, instead of understanding they're going to be somebody different now that they've gone through this pain and tragedy. And the idea is this, when we go through, when we help somebody with pain, it's to carry the burden with them as long as needed and to carry them through it as well, but to help them learn to cope and trust and walk again. That's the beauty. Sometimes you are going to have to carry them, but eventually you're going to carry them to a point where they can heal and you can set them down. The last thing that he says is to then be patient with them all. This final tool that Paul gives us to build a relationship is patience, and I think it's the hardest one that he lays out here because he was like, all right, you've got, you got to admonish people, you've got to encourage people, you've got to help people, and then he says, but guess what? With all those people there, every, everything I just told you to do, you got to be patient with every one of them too. And you're like, ah, uh, you know, I, I was like, okay, like doing it for a day, a week or something like that. But like, for a long, how long? How long do I have to do this? And the crazy thing is this. Patience, this idea of endurance being in it for the long haul, it's not up to how they respond to what we do to the, for them as to how long we get to do it. And that's the part that makes us difficult. Because we think, you know what, I've been, I've been helping this person, I don't know, for a month or two now. Like, isn't that enough? Isn't that deep enough? I've been, I've been warning this person for a long time, don't go that way, but they're still toying with that. Like, can't I just pull back and say, 
stop. And Paul's saying, guess what? That's not what true balance allows us to do. Patience doesn't allow us to do that. And if we approach patience with this idea of grace only, then we end up being tolerant of, of, uh, of behaviors. Tolerant of things. We're like, all right, I, I won't even, we won't even talk about that anymore. We won't even deal with that anymore. And we just become tolerant instead of actually dealing with issues. But if we're only growth-minded, then we become impractical and have expectations that are unrealistic that they're going to become something and do something and, and be something that they may never do. But the idea is this. Patience is when you live in such a way that you give people room to grow and time to grow. And too often we may give them time, but we don't give them the space to grow. Or we say, all right, you give you a lot of space to grow, but not much time. But patience is giving people room and time. Now, before we jump to the next part, I want you to understand that so we've been looking at this as the person who gets to go admonish, as the person who gets to go encourage, as the person who gets to help or be patient. But the truth is this. We've all been on both sides of this equation. We've been the idle ones. We've been the faint-hearted, the weak, the broken, the one that people need to be patient with. And it's okay. I want you to hear that this morning. Like, that's okay because God has put us in a family of people he's put us in relationships when we learn to operate in balance when i'm hurt somebody there's help when i'm going the wrong way somebody is there to say hey stop when i just need to take a break for a minute somebody's there to come put their arm around me and encourage me and say hey i'm here with you let's get going again somebody's there to be patient with me it's a beautiful picture of how a family works how a faith family works and how balanced relationships should work. And sometimes when we're the ones admonishing, we're the ones encouraging, we're the ones helping, we forget <coughs> and we grow bitter and go, uh, look at what all I've done besides remembering that three months ago, six months ago, I was the one in need. I was the one being admonished. I was the one being encouraged. Or in just a few months, maybe something's going to come into my life where I need this as well. So remember that this goes both ways. It's part of being in relationship. This all sounds great, beautiful. Let's do it, right? But the truth is, it also sounds really difficult because the other part of this is not just knowing this list, taking notes, writing it down. At some point, it's got to go from that paper or that screen on your phone to actually into your heart. It's a part of who we are. And this is what Paul hits in the next part of Thessalonians when he says in verse 15, here's how you do it. See to it then that no one repays evil for evil. Seek good for one another to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for that is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. These eight things that he listed out, these internal transformations allow us to live a balanced life in a balanced relationship with other people. As we come into balance with our relationship with God, it will begin to have a balance impact or an impact on our balance of our relationship with other people. And I just put these out there. We're not going to spend long on them. These are just things I try to regularly remind myself out of this passage in Thessalonians that I need to be connecting with God and it's this happening in me. And the first way I do this is to understand, he says, to kill evil. Kill evil. When somebody gives you evil, don't repay it. Don't keep it alive. Let it die. 
Let it die with you instead of multiplying it and letting it out. And then he says, instead of once you kill evil, what you should multiply is multiply good. Want good for everybody. Sometimes this is as hard as killing evil. You want to pay evil with evil. You're like, I'm not going to do that, but you certainly don't want good for that person. And he said, no, want good for everyone. So one of the ways that we learn to live in this balance and be able to admonish and encourage and be patient and help one another is by killing evil and multiplying good. And then he says this, and I love this point. He says, rejoice always. Celebrate often. Have parties, big and small. Victories in your life. When, you have a, when somebody turns from evil, celebrate. When somebody gets through a pain, celebrate. When somebody needs encouraged and they get back up, celebrate. Have these moments together where you celebrate overcoming. It's a beautiful picture. And then he says, be grateful. Be grateful for those around you. Be grateful for the faith family they're in. Be grateful that we can strengthen one another. Be grateful for who God is. And then he says, do not quench the spirit, which to me means we should listen deeply. Like listen to the spirit that was within us. Allow God's spirit to direct your path. Don't assume that you're always right, that you know best. Listen. Allow God to direct you. And then seek wisdom. It says, don't despise the prophecies. Allow God's truth, his word, and the wisdom of others to help you and help you grow your understanding and your wisdom. So seek wisdom. And as we listen deeply, seek wisdom, then something beautiful happens. It says we'll begin to learn discernment. We'll test everything. Put it to the test. Test things. Know whether it's true or a lie. Be able to uh, know, hey, I need to show grace here or encourage growth here. This is how we live this balanced life as discernment begins to play out in our life, and then it ends by saying to hold fast to good and abstain from evil, which means to me reflect righteousness. Reflect righteousness in all that we do. These eight things to me allow us to do those other four things. Allows that to play out in my life because by myself, I am not a patient person. By myself, if you ask me to admonish you, I'm probably going to give you a little bit more grace than I'm going to challenge you to grow. If you need encouragement, I'll come around and put my arm around you, but it is hard for me to stay still for a long time. It just is. I want to keep moving. Again, if you need help, I'm a fix-it person, and I will come in, and I'll try to fix it as quick as I can. Then I may, I'll try to get you up, and maybe I'll start dragging you behind me if you don't give up. I know on each of those where I'm weak, but if I can begin to kill evil in my mind and in my heart and multiply good, celebrate when we do things, and learn to be grateful, if I can listen, seek wisdom, and see discernment, and begin to reflect righteousness, then I can do these things through Christ. It's a beautiful picture. But I have one last question for us. Great. Cool ideas. But why do we do this? Why not just live for ourselves? Why not just get the most out of my life as I can? Why should we even live like this? Why should we admonish, encourage, help, and be patient? And it boils down to one word for me. It's because of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Jesus is different than anything else that I've ever experienced in my life. It's the fact that God came and did this for me. I didn't have to prove myself to God. I didn't have to cry out to him. He actually came when I needed to be admonished, when I needed to be encouraged, when I needed help. And he was patient with me, still patient with me. All of these things, he did this for me. Not because of what I did for him. And that's what's different about Christianity and almost every other world religion. 
Every other world religion is saying, what do I have to do to get God to do these things for me? Where Christianity says, God has already done these things for us. We simply have to walk into it and accept it. So the gospel of Jesus is different than anything else. And then the gospel of Jesus makes me different. It changes my thoughts, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, and my understanding of who you are and how I engage with you. And then the gospel of Jesus doesn't just, it's not different. It doesn't just make me different. The beautiful thing is this, it's available to everyone. And this is why living this out is so important. It's not just doing this for us. As people see this Christian family, this faith family, living like this for one another, encouraging, strengthening, holding up, warning one another, people will run to it. They will want, people desire to be a part of a family that will strengthen and encourage them. And the gospel is open to everybody. The good news of Jesus is this, that if we look with, that he is the balance. He is the way, the truth, the life. Through admission of him as Lord and through submission of our hearts to him, we find freedom. And it's beautiful. I can do anything I want on that balance beam. I can do the 16 flips. I guess you could, I don't know, however, handstand, jump around. I mean, the craziest of crazy things. And I know that he has me in his grip. And even if I fall, even if I stumble, he'll hold me with his grace and encourage me with his growth and get me right back on that beam and say, let's do it again. So my question for you today is this. How is the gospel bringing balance into your life and into your relationships? How is the gospel of Jesus bringing balance into your life and your relationship? Are you operating only out of grace, creating an unhealthy environment? Are you only operating out of growth, creating an unhealthy environment there? How are you allowing the gospel of Christ to impact and bring balance into your relationships? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? In this moment, all around the room, everybody probably takes this truth and, and engages with it with differently based on your life experience and your perspective on who God is and what his view of you is. And I want to challenge you right now. No matter you would say, hey, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. It's all I've ever known. Or today is the first day you're maybe understanding that this idea of a Christian faith impacts your life today. I just want to ask you to do something very simple today to set aside your past for a minute and say God what is it that you are teaching me right now in this moment not yeah I know that I should have done that I'll do better God or even like wow that's something I never thought of I just want to challenge you to take this truth at face value today that the gospel of Jesus is for you that the gospel of Jesus is different than anything you've ever experienced before and the gospel of Jesus will make you different. And it will bring balance into your life where it is out of balance. And for most of us, that's relationships. It's our relationship with our spouse. It's our friendships. It's the tension we have with our kids. It's even the tension we have with ourselves. And my prayer for us today is that the gospel of Jesus would come alive in us. Alive. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know how to do that or what that means, it's very simple. I just mentioned it. It's an admission to him as Lord and a submission to him of your heart. Admit that he is God. 
and that he is good and he wants good for you and be willing to submit to this beautiful pathway that he has for us to live. If that's a decision or a step that you want to take this morning, I'm happy to talk to you after the service. Others in our church be willing to have that conversation. We have that conversation in our groups regularly, and I would encourage you to get involved in there. But it's truly a conversation, first and foremost, you need to have with God. And I would encourage you today to spend some time talking to him about that. God, we love you. Your truth is amazing. It changes us, challenges us. God, I... I want to live in balance. I want to walk through this balanced beam of life, knowing that your grace holds me and your growth will sustain me. And God, that your gospel changed my life forever.